Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You that You are, Lord Jesus Christ, our righteousness. We thank You, Lord, for salvation and knowing You. We thank You for our brothers and sisters leading us in worship. We praise You tonight. In the middle of the week, we pause to say, Glory is Your name. Praise Your name, Lord Jesus, for all that You have done for us. We thank You for what Brother Levi reminded us as we walk by faith. We trust God and we worship You and glorify You each day of our life and commit ourselves to serve You. We pray, Lord, that tonight You would be with that person that's on our hearts and minds. We bring and present to You those that are burdening us tonight. And perhaps it's more than one person, maybe a group of people, whoever it is, we pray that You would speak to their hearts and may the will of God be done in their lives. May Jesus be honored and glorified through their lives, whatever it takes, whatever the circumstances. We present them to You and we trust You. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We do not lean on our own understanding. In all of our ways we acknowledge You, knowing You will direct our paths. You've done it in the past, You will do it in the present, and You will do it in the future as we walk with You and trust You. We pray that You might help us tonight now in the distractions of today, that we might bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Here are our thoughts, Lord. Some of them are not very pleasant. Some of them are not very good. Many of them are sad and sad for us too, but we pray that You might forgive us of our sins, cleanse us so that we might receive what You have for us from the Word of God tonight. Thank You for this time we have in Your Word. Each time is precious. Each time is a blessing. So bless us now as we study together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Good to see all of you who are here with us tonight as we continue our study in Moses. There are some outlines here in the middle and also at the back if you need to pick one up. And those of you who are joining us online, may the Lord bless you. If you'd like the outline, I mention this to you all the time. It's if you go to the website, First Baptist Church website, and just go to Moses, the man who heard from God. You go down there and it says download and you can push it and and uh, then you can look at the same outline we'll be looking at tonight. So we study Moses to learn how God saves those who trust and obey Him. Uh, as we know, the Word of God is divided into multiple kinds of literature, history and poetry, sacred poetry, uh, the prophets and prophecy, the gospels, and then the letters. And so we're in uh, the book of Exodus, and we will be for some time now uh, looking at these things together. But again, I want to remind you that Exodus uh, is uh, the the beginning of the story of uh, God's uh, history, the history of God in salvation. It is the story of how God uh, miraculously saves the nation of Israel because from the seed of Israel comes the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about the Lord Jesus Christ depends upon what happens in the life of Moses and the nation of Israel. We are linked to the Old Testament. Uh, For those who would uh, reject and spend their time only in the New Testament and not spend their time in the Old, we've spent many of the years I've been here, we've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. Uh, we, We spend our time in various places, but all of God's Word matters. And those things that are revealed and taught to us in the book of Exodus uh, help us to understand uh, the things that are coming to us and are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
we'll find various times where there'll be parallels between Moses' life and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in many ways. And, and for most in here in this room, you're familiar with this language, but some are not. So Moses is a type. He is a prefigure. He, is, he shows us and reveals to us truths about the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, though he is imperfect, uh, Moses uh, reveals to us some of those promised qualities that would come to fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen already, and I'll refer to it tonight, the book of Acts, Stephen in Acts 7, Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be looking later in 1 Corinthians uh, at some things, and also 2 Corinthians where Paul speaks about Moses. Moses is uh, famous, and five books, the entire Torah, the law of God, written by Moses, an astounding, powerful, unbelievable figure in Bible history. And so uh, you may know about Moses. You may think you know a lot about him, and that's good. And I hope that you'll find uh, these studies together to be helpful. But again, I remind you, we study Moses. As Paul reminds us, these things are written to us in the Old Testament uh, as examples, illustrations for us who believe upon whom the end of days have come. So we must pay attention to what God has done in the past, how He's worked in salvation, <clears throat> and how He's worked His purposes through people, just like us. And so we want to do that tonight. First of all, we're going to read an extensive pa a part of God's Word together. It's good sometimes, I believe, just to read God's Word together as God's people. There was a time when there weren't enough Bibles to go around, and uh, the, the pastor who was in charge would read God's Word. There was a time when um, Israel gathered in synagogues, and the scroll was opened, and not everybody had a scroll. And uh, the reader would read the Word of God for the day. So we'll read God's Word tonight, and we'll begin in Exodus chapter 1. The focal truth tonight is this, as we begin to think about the life of Moses, Moses was a man prepared by God for great service for God. Moses was a man prepared by God for great service for God. Now, let me coach you on this. Before we get to, so what does it mean to me? So this is what we hurry up to do. So what does it mean for me? Well, first, before I can say what it means to me, I got to make sure I know what it says. You know, what is it that's being said? What was being taught? What's the history? And uh, in our own day and time, this is important for us to remember because um, uh, history does teach us how God has worked in, in the Word of God, how God has worked in the days gone by. And even in human history, we learn how God has done His work. And you can think back in your life history, whether it's short or long, how God's worked in your life. All right, I take it back. We're going to start at the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, if you'll find your place there, verse number 22. Genesis 50, 22. Now, Joseph stayed in Egypt. Can Whoever's up there turn me up a little bit on the volume on this microphone. Anybody up there? Okay. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Now, Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Maker. The sons of Manasseh were born on Joseph's knees. That's quite a good phrase. And a lot of us who are grandparents in here know the joy of children being born 
on our knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. So ends the book of Genesis with the death and the embalming and uh, the coffin of Joseph and the words of promise on his lips as he died. Then we pick up in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceeding, exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them, Egypt that is. Verse 8 is the transition verse. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the, uh, the, people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built uh, for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom, Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. And they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all, and at all kinds of uh, labor in the field. All their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Uh, one of whom was named Sifra and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, why have you done this thing and let the boys live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty because the midwives feared God. He established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Natural transition. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister, this would be Miriam, 
stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him, that is Moses. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking along the, alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, that is Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Mose, Moses, because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. Now, Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Moses was a man prepared by God for great service for God. Preparation for Moses began at his birth. We sometimes forget the fact that God begins his work in our lives at our birth. We are a gift from God. And we see the blessing of the circumstances of the birth of Moses. And we see the work of God among those who feared God and trusted God by faith. That would include these Hebrew uh, midwives and also his parents. His parents. The powerful impact and influence of Moses' parents, even though their child did not remain with them. The powerful influence of parents on children. Well, Joshua, excuse me, Joseph made the promise that God would fulfill his promise uh, to, uh, that he had given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and deliver the children of Israel and give them the promised land. Joseph makes the promise, but then there's a great forgetfulness of the past. This always happens. This always happens. There came to be another king who did not know Joseph. So the conditions of Moses' birth in Exodus 1 are those of a change in history, uh, the forgetfulness of how Joseph had blessed as a Jewish leader. You remember Joseph was exalted to the highest heights in Egyptian culture. He was a great leader. He was one of the famous ones. He was exalted by God. Joseph was blessed and Israel was blessed by Joseph during his days alive in Egypt as they sojourned without a land. But now the children of Israel have, have become a, a great people. Uh, but there's a new king who is afraid and feels outnumbered 
uh, about the Israelites. So let's just look for a moment. I've given you some of this outline. I'll comment on a few things as we go along. We'll make a few observations and then we'll move along our way tonight. But I want you to see this, uh, this matter of these uh, Jewish, uh, these Hebrew uh, midwives. Uh, these are the least of those in doing such a, uh, you know, they're, they're facing Pharaoh. They're facing the king. However it's done, lots of conjectures about, well, these were the ones that were in charge of the midwives. They were the ones who would meet with Pharaoh and his leaders and they would bring the money, that the, whatever it was. Nevertheless, there's discussion between the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, and uh, Pharaoh and his, and his administration. His, and, and Pharaoh is concerned. And what has he said? Kill every son. Kill every son of the Israelites. Kill every Hebrew boy. Kill them at birth. Things haven't changed much in the world, have they? Kill every son, even to the point of birth. I'm not going to get on a bandwagon here, but may God have mercy on us and the world and the great catastrophe and ungodliness and wickedness of abortion. However, here we see it. There's a panic among the Egyptians. They're afraid of Israel. And uh, so what does the king say? Kill all the boys. Get rid of them all. Finally, it gets so bad because the midwives feared God. They did not. They weren't afraid of the king. They weren't afraid of the king. They were afraid of God. This is very important. We've talked about it before, haven't we? First lesson we teach our children is the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. From the fear of God comes the knowledge of the Holy One. So the fear of God was in these Hebrew women. And we know that this was two. And what did God do? He honored them, verse 20. God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, second time, second time it's said, He established households for them. God blesses those who fear Him. It's always been that way. It continues to be that way to this day. Well, these midwives <clears throat> did their work. And so Pharaoh decides to make Nile the river of death. Every son who is born, you are to cast him into the Nile. Nile, the Nile River, the beautiful Nile River. Most of us in this room have had some familiarity with it and the massiveness of the Nile River, the beauty of it, uh, turned now into the river of death. A place where male Hebrew children were thrown and died and drowned. So in the midst of that, in the conditions of the time where there's hostility toward this Jewish people. And, and by the way, their lives were made bitter. I, I didn't mention this, but in uh, chapter 1, verse number uh, 14, they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar bricks and all kinds of labor in the fields, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. The children of Israel, God's people in the land of Egypt under bitter, hard, difficult, persecution, labor, and trouble. But now we find this natural response. In fact, it's interesting to follow the Word of God and see it because it's an easy way to see how this was, could be shared verbally if there weren't Bibles. Verse 1, now a man from the house of Levi. Then you go down and you read in verse 11, now it came about in those days 
And then you read on over as we'll get to uh, next week in 23. Now it came about in the course of those days. Now it came about. Now it came about. Now it came about. It's God's, it's the word of God's way of describing and talking about history. So we're now going to look quickly at 40 years in the light, the first 40 years of Moses' life. We know that to be the case because Stephen described this section as the first 40 years of his life. Some of you aren't even 40 years old in this room. Some of you wish you were 40 years old again, most of you in this room. But you're not, so act your age and remember today you're older today than you've ever been. So here, in fact, some of you are twice the mark of 40. You're at the point where Moses was when he saw the burning bush. That's important to know. God's extended your life for a reason if you're here tonight and you're of that age. So now the birth of Moses. We don't have their names. We learn the names of Moses' parents uh, later in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 6, verse number uh, 20. I just uh, Let me flip over here and I'll read it to you. Uh, Amram married his father's sister, his father's sister, uh, Jacobed, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. Uh, and the length of Amram's life was 137 years. That's when he's wrapping up uh, in Exodus the uh, genealogy of all the families of Israel. So uh, Amram and Jacobed were the unnamed parents here. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I want to pause here for a moment and think about this, because we don't pause this way often. But I'm going to drill in as we do the life of Moses to some details I think are important for us to remember. So now we talk about the tribe of Levi. Moses was a Levite. You must remember this. If you know your Bible history, I'm counting on this very august, trained group of people in this Wednesday night group with me, that your Bible history is clear. Moses was a Levite. He was of the tribe of Levi. That's very important. The priestly tribe. Uh, so it's important that the Word of God says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. We know their names as we've read. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. I want to mention to you just for a moment before we talk about the beauty of Moses, uh, this matter of the priestly tribe. And if you uh, will take your Bible and turn over to Numbers chapter 3. Uh, Numbers chapter 3 all the way through Numbers chapter 8. Uh, we have all kinds of details related to the work of uh, the, the uh, tribe of Levi, the Levites who are to be the priests of God and the priestly uh, nation. Uh, we're going to uh, see some things about this. In verse 5, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, uh, that they may serve him. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting and do the service of the tabernacle. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting along with the duties of the sons of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. Twice it's said. The Levites were those who were to minister to the Lord. They were to carry out the work of God. 
They were those who were to minister and worship, and they were to they were to be the mediators, the representatives on behalf of Israel before a holy God. They were as the tabernacle was set up, and all the sacrifices are going on. Now, Numbers we're reading is way ahead because a lot's happened through the book of Exodus about the setting up and the building and the establishing of the tabernacle. We'll probably pause on that as we move along. But here we see what the Levites were doing. They were the priestly tribe. They were the priests of God's people. Prayers and blessings were given by them. They were the ones who served and ministered to the Lord. They were the ones who maintained the service of the tabernacle. And they, are you ready for this? They entered the presence of God. What did Moses do? It's what I called this study. Moses, a man who heard from God. Moses was of the tribe of Levi. He was a priest. It's interesting to note also, these are just some little facts I think are interesting. I'll bring, I'll, I'll put in, uh, I'll, I'll, if I can remember next week at, in my old age, if, Patty, if you'll remember, remind me. Uh, Patty doesn't forget anything, but if you'll remind me. Uh, I want to bring you a picture of how the nation of Israel would move all the way across the wilderness and set up camp. It's very interesting. The tabernacle in the middle, but also something we read in Numbers 3.38. Now those who were to camp before the tabernacle eastward. Now everybody in here knows what happens in the east. The sun comes up in the east, right? Everybody knows that? Interesting. Every part of God's Word matters. Now those who were to camp before the tabernacle eastward before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise are Moses and Aaron and his sons, performing the duties of the sanctuary to the uh, obligation of the sons of Israel. That is such an interesting thought because we see here that even God, the detail of God's arrangements for the children of Israel, God's people, went down to the way that they set up camp, broke camp, where they arranged, where the tribes were all arranged. And there's much to that for us to see. But there you see it. When the sun would rise there to the east, as the sun rose across the tabernacle, there Moses and Aaron were, and the Levites were surrounded around the tabernacle as a tribe of the priests. And then all the tribes of Israel were put in their arrangement around the tabernacle. Much to be said about how God's people worshiped God in the wilderness. It's a glorious thing. So Moses was a priest. That's why he spent his time with God. That's why he was before God. We find him on the we find him soon here in the burning bush. Then we find him on the mountain of God for a long time. Then we find him in the temporary tent of the congregation, the tent of meeting, and then we find him at the end in the tabernacle. Between uh, the at the mercy seat hearing God speak in the glorious cloud of His presence to Moses. No one like this man, Moses. He is someone we must understand, as I mentioned to you last week, from uh, God's description of him. Moses is one whom, you remember this was when God rebuked his sister and his brother for their jealousy of Moses. Remember what he, God said? I speak to Moses mouth to mouth. Not like I speak to any prophet. So this is a special man for us to know. Now, he was favored. He was a favored child. Let's, let's come back to this and talk about this very interesting phrase about Moses, the beautiful child. 
Now, if you're like me, I have, you know, I, on my phone, I have all the beautiful pictures and I could start to do it tonight, show you all the beautiful pictures. Of course, my kids are a lot more beautiful than any of your kids. And my grandkids are a lot more beautiful than any of yours. I have the most beautiful kids. You don't. And you would say, no, I do. So we want to think about this for a moment. This is one of those unusual, it's, it's picked up uh, in two different ways in the Word of God. First, there is, there is the, the view of the parents of uh, Moses when he is born. about their, They're amazed by his beautiful features, amazed by his beauty. But then there's also uh, Stephen's words in Acts, and I've given them to you here, that he was beautiful to God. So let's talk about this for a moment. I've given you some notes here about this. The, the Hebrew word for beautiful is tob. It is a word that means to be pleasant or agreeable to the senses. Hebrews 11, 23, uh, they say he was a beautiful child. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's important for us to see this. And then in Acts 7, 20, uh, it was at this time Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God. This is the way Stephen describes this phrase. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. Jewish tradition, the rabbis tell us that Moses' form was like an angel of God. His parents' affection for him was great. And they believed that he was to be eminent and useful if his life was preserved. However God put it in their hearts, by faith they saw there was something special. They did not see this in Aaron. They did not see this in Miriam. They saw this in Moses. They saw this in Moses. We do not have the rest of it. We do not understand it. But we find that there was something that, the, that these people of faith sensed. By faith, they put their child in the river of death, trusting God to keep him alive. These were, uh, these were uh, parents who loved God, feared God, and put their faith in God, as we learn about them in the book of Hebrews, by faith. They, they were, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. That wasn't the faith of Moses. That was the faith of his parents. So we see this beauty. So I wanted to give you at least six reasons why I believe that Moses was lovely in the sight of God. And I think this is important for us because it shows us the distinctiveness and the uniqueness of Moses in the history of God saving his people, so that he might save us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if God had not saved Israel, there would be no Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. You see, the Lord saves first the Jew and then the Greek or the Gentile. That's God's order. Salvation is from the Jew and salvation is first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. Most of us in here, I don't know if you, if you have Jewish background, then that may be the case, but the majority of us are Gentiles. Praise God for that. The salvation of God through the deliverer of Moses and his work gives us salvation through Jesus Christ. It is all linked together. That's why this history matters so deeply to us. And it shows us, not for us, what God did in order to provide salvation through Jesus Christ, He raised up a Moses. Here's this beautiful child. We don't have any commentary from the parents, but I'm convinced that this picture was one of a favored child for God's purposes. In the foreknowledge of God, in God's awareness of what Moses would be and do, Moses was lovely to God because God had chosen him to lead his people out of bondage. 
He was lovely to God because God had chosen him to give God's people the law of God. He's the lawgiver. He was lovely to God because uh, he knew that he would be a prophet of God to the people of God. Uh, he was lovely to God because he was a type of Christ Jesus, the final prophet of God. Uh, in Acts uh, 7.37, this Moses who uh, said to the sons of Israel, I will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. And we know that to be the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Stephen quotes that phrase in Acts 7. Moses was lovely to God because he was faithful in doing God's will. Hebrews 3, uh, 2 and 5 say he was faithful to him who appointed him. Moses was faithful to God as Moses was in all his house. You see, the Lord Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, but he's, he's a type. Moses is a type. He was faithful in his house. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Notice, for a testimony of those things which are to be spoken later, that is, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses was lovely because he lived by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six, and then I didn't quote all of them, but we know all the passages we've looked at in Hebrews 11 that talk about the faith of Moses. Well, so we see already the conditions of Moses at the time of Moses' birth, his birth, and that he was a child of beauty and favor to God. He was especially anointed and set apart by God. And the beauty of it is, the irony of it is, the, the Pharaoh who is killing the children, the Hebrew children, his own daughter saves the deliverer of the people of Israel. Doesn't God have a wonderful way of doing things? While daddy is insisting, throw them all in the river, the daughter is fishing one of them out of the river. And that's why his name was called Moshe, drawn. That's where we go next. The salvation of Moses. He's put in his own little ark and he's sent on the river of death with tar and pitch. What a pitiful thing. What, what else could you do when he could be hidden no more? His mother and dad put him in a, can you imagine doing this? Can you imagine what you would have, how it would feel to do it? Beyond the sentimentality, they did it by faith. They did it by faith, believing that if they put that child on the river of death, God would preserve him and take care of him. And lo and behold, his sister watches and what does the daughter of Pharaoh do? She names him and adopts him and calls him Moshe, which is drawn. That's the Hebrew word. It's interesting. She gives him a Hebrew name. Now, the interesting thing about the Hebrew people and the Egyptian people is their languages were different, but they all understood each other. They were bilingual. You have all of this conversation that goes on between these uh, the mother of Moses and Pharaoh's maidens and all the rest. So now he is called drawn out, the drawn out one, or saved from the water, Moshe. His name is Hebrew for drawing out of the water. And so we clearly see this beautiful picture. Jewish tradition says of the daughter of Pharaoh that she's been married for a long time. She had not had a child. She desired to have children. And she desired Moses to reign in Egypt. And there's some fanciful stories from uh, the rabbis that at one point when he was a little child, Moses was playing on the lap of Pharaoh and he picked up the crown of Pharaoh and put it on his head. And Pharaoh, being a paranoid person, thought it was some kind of an omen that this one would be the one who would take over and become king. Irony is, he became the deliverer of Israel. 
So you find this salvation of Moses. Moses is saved out of the basket because of the faith of his parents and trusting God. And God in his sovereignty and grace assigns that no one less than Pharaoh's daughter, the killer of the children of Israel, Pharaoh, his own daughter, brings up a Hebrew child. Now can you imagine what Pharaoh must have thought about that as Moses grew up? his first 40 years in, Israel, in, uh, in Egypt. Well, the failure and uh, faith of Moses is what we come to next that I wanted us to see. So we have this transition that takes place. And uh, I would mention to you that this blessing of Pharaoh's daughter giving the child back to his real mother so that he can be nurtured and weaned. And so the woman took him, that is Moses' mother, and the child was nursed, and the child grew. And she brought him to Pharaoh, and he became her son. Can you imagine? She had to give her son back to Pharaoh and to Egypt. But she had had time. Though it's not written, we know. We know what happens. The truths of God's Word, the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been shared with this young man, at a time when he could understand. This is the point of what I've been saying and laboring to say on Sunday mornings. There's no one more equipped to teach children the truths of God's Word than their parents. Their parents must talk about the promises of God. Their parents must teach them salvation in Jesus Christ and the glory of God. So Moses was a man uh, who uh, was a man of faith, but he was also a man who was a murderer. So we find this interesting thing. Moses was a man of power and words and education. Acts 7.22. We don't have it here except that he grew. The child grew, verse 10. She brought him and he became her son. And she named him Moses uh, because he was drawn out of the waters. So before we get to 11 in the transition, uh, Stephen also says in Acts 7.22, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. So he grew up educated in all of the truths and education and sciences of the Egyptians. And we, in, uh, as uh, those of you who have gone to school and you studied it, you know so much has been done in unearthing Egyptian history, literature, science. It's pretty amazing. Moses would have been uh, one of those who received the best of educations. He received the best classical Egyptian education money could buy because he was in the family of Pharaoh. He had the best teachers. He had the best trainers. And he was a man who was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians from their ability to build, to their sciences, uh, to all of the things that they knew. He knew of their views of life after death, but he also knew from his mother the truths and the promises of God of the nation of Israel. So Moses grew up by faith and, and refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'll just read this to you for the sake of time. Hebrews eleven twenty four to 27. By faith Moses, when he had grown up. This goes with verse number 11. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. 
Let's just read Hebrews 11, 24, 27 for our commentary. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather choosing to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. I'll make more of that in the days ahead. You know how Moses endured in the mountain, in, in the wilderness? He saw God. He met God. He saw Him who was invisible. How did he endure? Listen, this is an important lesson. He, he endured by knowing the presence and the nature and the character of God. How do we endure? By knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in His glory, His presence, His nature, and His character. Well, Moses tries to deliver the people of God in his own power. He thinks he's doing something to help. He struck down the Egyptian who was beating the, um, the uh, Jewish man. And we read now Stephen's account in Acts 7, 23-29. When he was approaching age 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Notice what I've underlined. He supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand it. Moses had come to a conclusion. I've been put in this place. I'm Pharaoh's adopted son. I can deliver the people. So he started by killing a, uh, an Egyptian. The following day, uh, two of the Jewish men were fighting and he tried to reconcile them. Why are you trying to injure one another? One of them was injuring his neighbor, pushing him. He pushed Moses away and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? You don't mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And at this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. He feared. He fled, though, by faith not fearing Pharaoh. There is a gap, there is a break between verse number 14 and verse 15. Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. He was afraid because now what he did would be known. However, we read earlier that he, that he was not afraid of the wrath of the king. He left Egypt by faith, not fearing the wrath of the king. And we'll pick up with Moses in Midia next week. So I'm out of time, but I want to read these quickly as we go. Eleven things for us to think about tonight, and I hope you'll go home and consider some of these. God prepared Moses. Preparation is what we're talking about tonight. Preparation for usefulness to God. God prepared Moses to lead his people from Egyptian bondage. Moses prepared for his work as the adopted son of Pharaoh and the son of, uh, of the children of Israel. He was a child of a slave and he was a son of a queen. Child of a slave, son of a queen. God knew that Moses would accomplish his purposes for his people. He was beautiful. God used Moses' parents and the daughter of Pharaoh to prepare him for his work. He was born in a hut and he lived in a palace. He was educated in the palace and he went to the desert and got his real education. God saved Moses out of the water 
by Pharaoh's daughter. God saved his people. Isn't this interesting? God saved Moses out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, and God saved his people out of the water by Moses' leadership. Moses learned God did not need his help in accomplishing his purposes. Moses learned God's timing is not man's timing. Everything that happened to Moses equipped him to do God's purposes. Moses lived by faith, refusing the charm and pleasures of Egypt. He endured in, the, in Midian obscurity in order to see the invisible God. We'll talk more about it next week. God uses every detail in the life of His people. This is for all of us tonight. This is for all of us tonight. God uses every detail. Don't you wish you could skip some of the details in your life from the past? I do. God uses every detail in the life of His people. Listen. His people to bring glory to His name. He perfectly prepared Moses for the work we're about to look at. So what do we remember tonight, my dear brothers and sisters? It is our wonderful favorite verse of all. It's been our favorite verse. In fact, I spoke to the people about it for, for a whole year almost. Romans 8, 28, All things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. He always brings good out of bad for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So may God bless the reading of His Word and thank you for joining me as we learn about Moses. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this man, Moses. Because of his work and because he heard from You and he heard and received the law of God, we know what it means to be a sinner. Because he was faithful in his house to do the things that you called him to do. He established the priesthood so that we might know of the great high priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he shows us the figure of that glorious place in eternity, the very temple of God, the glorious presence of God where there is unceasing praise for endless ages, eternity upon eternity. May we, may we see these things as a part of God's plan and purpose for saving us you saved Israel so that you could save us through Jesus Christ. And we're grateful for it. Teach us what it means. Teach us the depths and truths of what it means to be saved through our study of Moses, what it means to talk with you in prayer, what it means to worship you, what it means to receive your word and obey it for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great evening. Good to see all of you. Hope that you'll be back on uh, Sunday as we continue as for me and my house. Say hello to somebody on your way out. Always good to see you. Those of you who joined us, bless, bless you all. We'll see you soon, Lord willing. Have a good evening.